The Women in Agile podcast series amplifies the voices of outstanding women in the Agile community. We are dedicated to sharing the wisdom and inspiration our community has to offer by telling our stories, being thought leaders, and having open conversations with our allies. This series is brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile organization and Accenture Solutions IQ. Hello, listeners. Leslie Morse here. The Women in Agile podcast is delighted to be bringing you the third episode in the Coaching Agile Teams mini-series. Today, Lisa Adkins and I go deep into the story of what it was like for her to work on the Coaching Agile Teams audiobook. As always, I love the laughter in our discussions. The lightness and authenticity Lisa brings into conversations is always a blessing. In fact, my favorite part of this conversation is where she forgets the prayer she would read as part of her recording ritual. We could have edited out the need for her to go find the sticky note with the words on it, but instead we wanted to leave this in as a reminder that none of us are perfect. And speaking of perfection, this is probably a perfect episode to go enjoy when you're out on a walk. So if you can, grab your shoes and hit the pavement as we share the stories of the highs, the lows, and the laughter that goes into producing an audiobook. And if you want to stay up to date with everything going on in the Coaching Agile Teams mini-series, please visit us online at www.womeninagile.org C-A-T. I hope you enjoy today's conversation. Thanks so much for tuning in. Hello, Lisa. Hi. Welcome back for another conversation in our podcast series on the audiobook of Coaching Agile Teams. Thanks. I'm really glad to be here and pretty excited about our topic today. I am too. I am too. And um, just thank you again, right? And you'll hear me in this every conversation. Thank you. Thank you for making this space in your life to do these conversations. I just, I'm really honored to be a part of it. I am so glad because without this collaboration that you and I are in, there would be so much that um, people could benefit from, from that wouldn't happen. So thank yeah. you. Yeah, you're welcome. And thank you listeners for being here as always. Um, yeah, the most important people. Yeah, yeah. Mm, we're not, mm, mm, yeah. Hugs and kisses to listeners. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it would be fun to just have these conversations with you anyway, Lisa. <laughs> but just, you know, um, I, I almost sort of realized that I imagine us sitting in a room, like in these really comfortable kind of like recliners or chairs, like with a group of folks around us listening. Yeah. Like that's something about how I get myself ready for these. I love that. It's very yeah. campfire-esque, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, so we both had the luxury of spending the past couple of days, not with each other, but in our own spaces outdoors. Yeah. And as we were getting ready to start recording today, something about a thing you, you said to me inspired me for a check-in I'd love to use to get oh. us going. Okay. I can't wait. And that is, um, if you were a piece of playground equipment on a playground, what would you be? Could there be a marriage between like that really nauseating one that goes around and around? Is it called a merry-go-round? Is that yeah, what it's called? Yeah, yeah. And the teeter-totter. Like if there could be a marriage between those two, I think that that's what I would be. I... I'm astonished in this moment because I was torn between the merry-go-round and the seesaw as well. So there, there yeah. Why, there what about those were speaking to you? So the, um, the seesaw is speaking to me because so often 
I'm thinking about the infinity symbol. And if, and if everyone just does this right now, just like draws the infinity symbol with your finger in the air, that's kind of like what the seesaw does too. Like something's up and then it comes down and then it goes up on the other side and then it comes down. And so like, it's not that any one thing is wrong or bad. It's just that after a while, any one thing becomes nauseating and then we have to go to the other side. Yes. And like, and then capture like, you know, the goodness or the usefulness of the thing that's almost opposite of the previous one, but just enough of it. And then, you know, back. So it's not like, it's not like traditional or agile. It's like traditional and agile. It's yes. not like up or down. It's up and down. And, um, and then the whole merry-go-round thing is just because I feel completely nauseated by the, the world events. Mm -hmm. And, and I think about that merry-go-round and I think about like theoretically, at least there is a point in the center of that, that is completely still. Physicists tell me there is that point. Yes. I, I'm not good enough with physics to really understand <laughs> that, but, but I can feel that center point in the middle of the merry-go-round or the wheel or whatever that actually is still, even though there's all this swirling around. So yeah. that's, that was mine. So what about yours? Why, why were you between those two? Yeah. And it's, it's, they're similar, um, things because it's something about, even though the centrifugal force of spinning on the merry-go-round can feel chaotic, there is that center point of right. That circulation, I guess, mm -hmm. for the better, better lack of a better word, um, that to me is sort of like the grounding principles and our values and even just the conversations we're having through this, this podcast series is like, bring us back to the fundamentals that keep us centered at home. Oh, I love that. And then the teeter-totter, right? That seesaw, it for me is about like balance, right? Mm -hmm. And it's um, every day in our lives striking for what is that right balance in this moment, being discerning about that. Um, and... I, I loved the way you used the word and it's not traditional or waterfall or traditional or agile. It's, and mm -hmm. how do we honor both and, um, and all of that. So, yeah. Yeah. And what you, you, what you said about, um, the merry-go-round, I mean, I just, I got so relaxed. Great. Because the, the center point is our values. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. That's yes. right. It no, is. Ma no matter what else is flying around, we can come back to that. Mm -hmm. They are the center point that is still and not moving. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What um, What do you make up about how this check-in could have served us in terms of our hygiene for the podcast series? Well, the piece about the values is coming to mind again, that if, if we were to get too self-congratulatory about, you know, all this amazing work Lisa Adkins has done. It's even weird talking about myself in the third person. <laughs> but, like, but like, you know, if, if, we go, if we go there, we can come back to the fact that we're, that our greatest hope is to be useful here. And so to, you know, to check ourselves and put ourselves to the side if what we're doing is, if we judge what we're doing is not being useful, of course, people will tell us later yeah. if we were being useful or not, but we're going to do our best to be useful. So that's yeah. how it's resonating for me now. Yeah. And I think about fun. 
Oh, right? yeah. Yeah. Right. I think about fun. As well as there's something that about for this episode, right? We are going to really unpack and get you to unzip on what was it like to create this audiobook? And I want it to be real and dirty. Like, I want us at the end of this episode to be like, I was just sitting in the sand pit, like playing with Lisa and like, I know her in all of like her multiple dimensions. And so something about the, pl- the playground metaphor just felt right to I help us it. create that container. I love it. Oh, I love that. Yeah. You know, I so don't prioritize fun and mm. it's something that I am trying to increase in my life. So thank you. This is going to be a good practice for me. Awesome. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, so shall we dive in? Let's. Okay. So before we talk about the audiobook itself, let's talk just a little bit and remind folks about your original inspiration for writing Coaching Agile Teams in the first place. Like rewind us 10 years. Um, I didn't have an original inspiration for writing the Coaching Agile Teams book. The book happened to me. I didn't happen to the book. Um, and what I mean by that is that I, I started a, a really basic blog uh, that was articulating the road from project manager to agile coach and sort of the things I was learning along the way as I had my bumps and bruises. And I was giving my first ever talk at an agile conference, and it was the Scrum Gathering in Chicago. And the talk was called The Road from Project Manager to Agile Coach. And it was less than 24 hours later that Mike Cohn found me at the conference. And he actually says this in the foreword of the book. He says that the, the whole conference was buzzing about this talk and how, and how it landed for people as so useful. And so, and I had known Mike a little bit. I had taken his certified Scrum Master class. I had met him a couple times. So we walked around downtown Chicago together and he said, I really want you to write a book because I know we need a book on agile coaching, but I'm not the one to write it. And so I want mm-hmm. you to write this book in our, my book series. And I was like, you're crazy. You, I mean, you are crazy. I am not writing a book. And now my mic is a pretty sly guy. So he goes, okay, all right. But just let me um, send, have the publisher send you the book proposal template. And so I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. And so he, they send it, and I look it over, and it's a, like this big honking template of multiple, multiple pages. I don't know, maybe 30 pages or something. That's the template for a book proposal. And so I just set it aside, and then, and then events start happening. So I, at that time, I was apprenticing several other Agile coaches. They were my apprentices. And I would say something to them and they'd say something like, that's good, you should write that down. Or, man, you need to blog about that today. Like, like leave this conversation and go blog about that right now. Um, and so I just kept getting this reinforcement that maybe I did have something to say because that was my big mm-hmm. message to Mike. I'm like, I, you know, I'm not even the most experienced agile coach that I, it's even in my circle. Like, why am I, why would I be the one to write this book? And then... Parts of the book started coming to me in my dreams. Mm. And I, my, my husband remembers this time very well because he remembers it as a very productive time where I would wake up and start scribbling stuff on a notepad. And the 
table of contents of the Coaching Agile Teams book as it is today is 95% identical to what came to me in my dreams. Oh, wow. It was just a big download. So it's not like I was the most experienced Agile coach or even the best person to write this, but for whatever reason, I feel like I got picked to write it. And, and my you job... The, yeah, you're the voice of the system. Yep. And so my job was just to let it come through. Yeah. That's, that's so great. As I just... I almost want to invite... I, I'm feeling a little sense of wonderment and just being with this. And I want everybody to kind of sit and just ask yourself, like, what is it that your world is calling for you to be the voice of? What is that inquiry for you? And I, and think, I think if more people, I think if more people answered that question, we'd be a lot better off. Oh, yeah. I mean, so just sit with it. And the other thing I would say is if you find that you have something that you, for whatever reason, you got tagged it, you're the voice for this thing, get a coach. <laughs> because the other yeah. thing that happened to me was that I had a really good coach in the year that I was writing the Coaching Agile Teams book. Mm -hmm. And she would say things to me like, who are you? Who are you to judge whether or not you're the right person to write this? She would say, get over yourself and get back to writing. And she helped me create all these metaphors and all these really beautiful ways of staying in the flow with the information that was coming and how I was trying to articulate my experience. Yeah. And so, so many of these great ways to tell my saboteurs to take a hike or, you know, my, when my imposter syndrome would kick in, just how to deal with that. And without her, I am quite sure this book would have taken longer and not been as good. Mm. I, there's something that we just should snip that content and make that into a soundbite people can play over and over again. Like you're doing work that you believe is important to you. To hold yourself to that, like get a good coach. Get a good coach. Like as someone that right now has a phenomenal coach, that you actually referred me to, Lisa. Like, <laughs> I know how true that really is. Yep. It is great. You also had a mentor that you worked with during this phase of your life that said some important stuff to you as well. Tell us a little bit about him. Yeah, his name is Lee Devon, and he is in the theater world. But he wrote this book called Artful Making, What Managers Need to Know About How Artists Work. And I think it was about... 2008 or so that he came into the Agile community because there's a great intersection, of course, between how uh, dramaturgists and artists work and how we work in Agile. Great intersection. And I met him and we just, we just hit it off. We had such a beautiful relationship. I'm not sure how old he was at that time, but quite a bit older than me. I mean, really like, like if you imagine like an older kind of crusty mentor that that's Lee. And um, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't mince words. He wouldn't talk your ear off. But everything he said was just like really useful. How that and that, that sort of metaphor we were using of the, the merry-go-round. Mm -hmm. What was that center point that wasn't moving that created the alignment between the two of you for that magic to happen? 
I think it was me basically coming to him as a supplicant and saying, teach me what you know about collaboration because I don't know enough. That was one of the bits of action research I did for the Coaching Agile Team's book was that I wanted to go see genuine collaboration in action because I had only seen sort of pale reflections of it in the teams I had coached up to that point. And so he and his wife, Abigail Adams, that is actually her name, Abigail Adams, um, she is the leader of the People's Theater, People's Light and Theater in Malvern, Pennsylvania. And they invited me to be there on the first day of a rehearsal of a brand new play. And I learned so many things about collaboration by watching this group of professional actors come together and bang, hit the ground running. Like each person knew their part cold and what they were doing was discovering the the moments that would emerge and would create the magic of the play. And so I, would, I watched their rehearsals for two days and then I got to debrief with Lee and with Abby afterwards. And then I came back and saw the play uh, eight weeks later because it was mm-hmm. only eight weeks of rehearsals. I mean, so the, like a play is the ultimate deadline. Yeah. You know, you know. Opening night is when opening night is. That's right. And so I learned so much about collaboration from that experience. And then later, Lee and I um, created a workshop for an Agile Alliance conference together that he actually was not able to go to. So by then, I was flying that solo. And so much of what is in the Coach as Collaboration Conductor chapter of the Coaching Agile Teams book is because of his mentorship around collaboration. But he also mentored me in how to write a book. What were some of those, those nuggets that you still really hold in your heart? Lee said something really amazing to me. We were sitting at some sort of diner counter or something. We were side by side. And he just kind of turns to me and he goes, so you need to know that writing a book doesn't take a lot of time, but it takes a lot of calendar time. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, I sort of understand that conceptually. And it isn't later until I get into writing the Coaching Agile Teams book and actually also recording the audiobook now, just these last couple months, that I realize how much calendar time something like this takes because it is a 24 by 7 creative process mm-hmm. that just happens to come out every once in a while as words on a screen or as words spoken from my mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Anchor for us as well, Lisa, where were you on your journey 10 years ago in terms of developing your own stance and your skills as a professional coach? So I had just completed the co-active coaching training courses. So that was 15 days Mm -hmm. of training over about a year. Yep. But I actually took a year off. I took the first course and then took a year off and started coaching, started applying it, and then came back and picked up the other courses. Gotcha. Okay. So at that point, you had not done ORSC yet. Um, and so it really was just that foundational training in Coactive from CTI at that point 10 years ago. Yep. That's correct. Okay. And then um, I signed up for 
the Coaches Training Institute leadership program mm-hmm. that was to start the February just before the book came out in May because I was sure that this leadership program would help me discern what I need to say yes to because I had no wait pause there yeah what was that question again I needed to discern um what I needed to say yes to that's a really important question yeah yeah because it's it's I think it's as important to repel things as it is to attract them Mm -hmm. because we all have limited time in the world and we can't, time is the one thing we can't make more of. And so, so being like really clear about my intention, like where is my yes? And I want to attract the things in line with that, with that highest uh, intention. Mm -hmm. How, It's such a beautiful way to say, and today, 10 years later, Lisa, that's just finished recording the audiobook. Oh, what's happening for you right now? I am so overwhelmed with emotion. I'm not even sure what question you're going to ask, but where where your, your first few words took me is, you know, now looking back, what has happened to that intention or how has that intention served you? Well, and, and what came up for me is how much that intention has served others. Mm. Like, like I, re- I really, I just want people to understand what I just witnessed for you. Like in the spirit of let's be real. I mean, it, this steadfast joy on your face. I mean, truly just almost like whitewashed into this. I, I don't even have words exactly to describe. It's stoic and humble, so like ripped back vulnerability all over you right now, Lisa. Yeah, the tears are here. I mean, they're just, you're going to see them any second. They're just right here mm. in my eyes. Um, to, to have the kind of impact I have had the privilege of having is a life well lived. And Every time someone comes up to me at a conference, every time someone sends me an email or a message in social media and says, you changed my life, I don't take it for granted. People say to me, oh, you must, you must get so tired of people telling you that. And I say, never. I never get tired of that because it's new every time. And each person is a different person. And if I had the chance to impact all those individuals, and here's the best part, they had the chance to impact all those individuals, and all of those individuals had the chance to impact all those individuals, then we have a virtuous cycle going. Yeah. And, and I don't marginalize the impact they also have on you. Oh, yeah. Right? It's the teeter-totter. It's that infinity symbol, right? Every Cherishing every one of those moments and the, the infinite ripple effect that, that's there and the way that they, they do circle back to, to you as well. Yeah. I feel so filled up um, with incredible gratitude and, and a sense that, you know, people, people play this game every once in a while. They say, so if you just find out that you're going to die four hours from now, what haven't you done that you'd want to do? And I often say, like nothing. Mm-hmm. Like, like, take me now. I've had enough of an impact on the world. Now, I know that my life's not over and I still have much more to give. 
But if my life were to end, I would say that was a good one. Yeah. That's a great inquiry for everybody as well. Yeah. What else do you notice about the Lisa of today versus 10 years ago? 10 years ago, I was absolutely on a mission to alleviate suffering in organizations by equipping people with agile coaching skills. It was really clear to me. It was so clear to me, like this mission was so palpable and, you know, creating the Agile Coaching Institute, it wasn't because I wanted to own a company or grow something. It was because it was necessary for that mission. Yeah. And now I can see that that mission is taken up by many, many people all over the globe. Like the, if we were playing some sort of game, like I've carried the ball down the field with other people. We've carried the ball down the field so far. Let's say that we were the generation one people. Now the generation mm-hmm. two people have got it and they're taking it even further. Yeah. So, so that, that is really different than where I find myself today. Today I find myself um, um, intentionally adrift. And what I mean by that is that we're here in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. I have had the sense for many, many years that climate disasters are coming and those, those will be global in scale in some way, like maybe localized, but have a global impact. And, and I'm really sitting with the question of where is the place for me to put my energy? In fact, I've, added, I've added a bit of a prayer practice onto my Zen meditation practice. Mm, tell and, us. I, and I just say, I sit down to meditation, and the first thing I say is, Dear God, please show me where to... Actually, what the heck do I say? I have it written on a sticky note. Hang on, let me go for it. Because okay. I can't remember exactly how I say it, and it's really good. Hey, everyone. Natalie Warner here, the President and Executive Director of Women in Agile Org. I wanted to thank you for listening to this episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. We're thrilled to have this as a platform to showcase the wisdom of our community. We'd love to get your help to amplify the reach of the series by asking you to go over to iTunes in order to rate and review us. After you're done, take a screenshot of your rating and review. Then post a screenshot to Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn and tag hashtag Women in Agile. If you do this, we'll not only reshare your post, but also add you to a monthly drawing to receive a Women in Agile goodie bag filled with WIA stickers and other treats. Thanks for listening. So I got this sticky note. It says, Dear God, please let me know how to use my energy in this time. Mm. And so I just say that to myself over and over again, sort of as a way to get myself into um, Zazen, which is the type of meditation that I practice. And there have been two other times that I have sent a prayer like that out into the world. And both of them returned me great things. One was a child and one was a husband. Mm. So I feel certain that agilists know how to work in complexity and in confounding situations so well, and that we must be useful 
for these larger planetary issues. I just don't know how. And so, I, you know, maybe that is the next big mission. Mm -hmm. Maybe for a lot of us, that's the next big mission. Yeah. And there is, you, you're phrasing um, about purposefully staying adrift, mm -hmm. allowing the space in life for that complexity to be versus being committed to what the future must look like, I believe is such an important part of that. You're talking about working with a coach before. I said to my coach in a session relatively recently, um, as I was thinking about my life, and I say, it's I'm looking out at this clear meadow, and there's there's a horizon, and I know that something is over that horizon, and I can't see it yet. And in fact, if I could see what was over that horizon, that would become a self-limiting belief about what I am or am not capable of. Yeah, that's right. And there's something I think important about that idea to do this sort of work you're calling us to. I also love that you gave me another really great segue because another thing that I was curious about, right? You talk about like, I added this prayer onto my Zen meditation practice. What were the rituals that you needed to use to get ready to record this audiobook? And how did you really get yourself set up and in the mindset to reopen this body of work and get centered and ready to produce this content? I love that you ask that because I think some, you know, if you've never done anything like this before, or if you've wanted to, you might think, Oh, you know, well, you just have to wait to be inspired. And, um, and you know, only certain people can do it because I'm not inspired. And it's actually just a lot of hard work. I mean, that's, that's what I have to tell people is that it, it's, it's making the commitment to show up every day. You know, whenever you decide that is, I mean, just like Agile itself, create yourself a cadence, show up every day and do a piece of it. And I learned my ritual for getting ready to record each morning by first of all learning from the experts. So I watched a bunch of videos about agile book uh, agile book that's funny <laughs> audiobook narration um and narration recording setup sound prep like all these different marketing all these different aspects of it. Um and then I created for myself over the probably with the, within the first five days, um, the basic uh, set of steps got created that happened every day before I would sit down to record. And the first is the alarm goes off really early in the morning because the kind of microphone I used for this audiobook recording was so sensitive that if I used it when other people were awake, like for example, I could hear someone open the door to the basement two floors down when I, if I was recording during the day. Wow. So I'm like, I also remember you telling me, and let, let's just, for those that don't know, you live in Virginia, right? Yeah. Not completely, completely the Southeastern United States, but it is hot in the summer. And you were recording this book through the early parts into the middle of summer. And it is not 
comfortable temperatures outside necessarily, but you couldn't even have your air conditioning on. That's if right. If I remember correctly. That's right. So it's like, here's the ritual. I either pop out of bed or I drag myself out of bed when the alarm goes off, one or the other. Some mornings it was popping out of bed because I was so excited. And some mornings, some mornings, some mornings, <laughs> let me say that again. Some mornings it was like popping out of bed because I was so excited. Like I would wake up before the alarm. And some mornings it was like that commercial from the 1980s where the guy drags himself out of the bed and from Dunkin' Donuts, he goes, time to make the donuts. And so, <laughs> and so that became a bit of a meme as I was sharing some behind the scenes aspects of this, because some mornings it was literally dragging myself out of bed. And I think that's the stick to itness that people need to know about. The alarm goes yeah. off and you get up. And in this case, the alarm was going off at 4.30 and then it became 4.15 and then it became 4 a.m. as I was going through the process of this. So you pop out of bed or you drag yourself out of bed. Then the next thing that would happen is I get my dog off the lounge chair because he'd be sleeping in the little lounge at the edge of our bedroom. He was not happy about it, but he had to go out because, you know, his click clacky nails on the floor would not do while I was recording. Then I go downstairs. Oh, I have a little sock filled up with rice. This is a pro tip, folks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> a sock filled with rice. I'm not sure what the most obscure thing you could have said to me today was, but I think I may have just encountered it. A sock full of rice. Okay, okay. but just wait and see what happens with this sock full of rice. Okay, so the dog goes out the backyard. Now, look, he has a great backyard, everyone. He has a house. He has a big run. He's like, he has a whole yard to himself. He's not hurting out there. So he goes out, and I put the the rice sock in the microwave for 60 seconds. It is the best heated massage for your face and your neck and your shoulders, really anywhere in your body, but that's where I use it. Mm -hmm. And part of what needed to happen, especially that early in the morning, was that I had to get my face and my neck and my shoulders and my chest moving. Yeah. Because to articulate as clearly as you must to create an audiobook is a real skill that I had Stamina. to learn. Yes, and stamina. Yeah. So, okay, so that goes in the microwave. The kettle goes on for tea. I pour myself some green citrus tea and a little bit of honey in it and make sure the air conditioner is turned off downstairs. Turn off the air conditioner upstairs. Come on up. And then I do warm-ups. So I do some physical warm-ups, and that was just mostly circling my neck and shoulders and hips and get everything moving. And then I do vocal warm-ups. So there's like, I found an article online that had five different things you go through to warm up your voice before you, you know, get on stage or do a narration for an audiobook. So I used that. And then I would read all the notes that I had taken, which were all on sticky notes on my um, architect's table over here, of pointers people had for narration. And it was things like, if you start slurring your R's and your S's, stop. Your voice mm -hmm. is too tired. Stuff like that. So I'd remind myself of all that because, you know, I'm not an expert at recording audiobooks. This is, I had to like get up, download the information every single time. And I did along the way talk with a, an agilist who used to be a stage actor, Kristen Fairbrother, and he gave me great pointers after listening to an early recording. Um, and so his little notes are in there too, which I love that. And then I would sit down in my little DIY sound booth that my husband made for me. It's acoustic tiles on the wall. And we have, it is, it is the silliest looking thing. So it's a screen 
just like a screen that you could buy anywhere. It's like, a, so it's in a round shape and then we have a blanket over it. I mean, that's how high tech this is, right? So there's a blanket to deaden the sound over it. And so basically imagine that I am positioned in with my face into the corner of the wall because that's going to give us the best sound. Yeah. And then I look at what I'm recording that day. Of course, I know what I'm recording because I prepared it, prepared it the day before, but I look at it anew and I ask myself, what is the feeling of this piece? What is the usefulness of this piece? Um, and then I just, and then I just get quiet and breathe a little bit. And over time, I got used to saying something like, this doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be useful. This doesn't have to be perfect. This just has to be useful. Yep. And then I would start recording. There, There is a whole set of things you have to do in, with the recording software to get it spun up and like get, you know, get all that stuff working, you know, mic test and all that sort of stuff. But, but then you start recording. And when you mess up, you just pause and you say, retake. And then do the line again. So it's just this long session. Yeah. And when you're done, how do you, I imagine you're almost in a trance from this work. Like getting yourself out of that. What was that part of the process like? Well, I would record for about an hour a day. Okay. Because some of the best wisdom I heard was, especially for someone who's not a professional, who uses her voice every day in a professional way, an hour is the max. And I knew that when I recorded, actually, if I recorded three or four days in a row, an hour each, by the fifth day, I'm like, I need to rest my voice. Mm -hmm. And I would get so aggravated at that, but I knew that was the right thing to do. That's so interesting because we think of ourselves as we talk all day, especially you know, when you're in meetings and you're th the life of Zoom that so many of us live on right now, I'm, I'm on, I'm at a computer, I am talking to people all day long. How do you notice the way that you use your voice being different in just even this conversation than when you were recording? So when you're recording, it's only you. There is no break. Mm. And so for me, you know, I, I used to sing and I, I sang in choruses and in jazz quartets and stuff all the way through college. So I do have a, a long ago archival memory of, of how to expand my, um, my body to hold enough breath. And dang, if there are not a lot of long sentences in the Coaching <laughs> Agile Teams book. I mean, I knew, I knew it was long-winded, but some of those sentences are really, really long. <laughs> and so, um, so I think it's that kind of breath control and being so meticulous about articulation and inflection and emphasis. Mm. I think that's what's different. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm going to be so interested to listen Um and I guess I'll bring some lightness here. It's like when you talk about like where, how to use your inflection, how to like articulating things, where to put the emphasis. It makes me think of that phrase, um, putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable. <laughs> <laughs> there were some times when it sounded like that and I'd be like, retake, 
Yeah. But, <laughs> but the, I, it didn't occur to me you have that opportunity for the discernment about like the way I read this passage and the way I use my instrument of voice to make the emphasis land in the right space. Because mm-hmm. that it can, I mean, just if we think about the phrase, Mary had a little lamb, right? Mary had a little lamb. It was hers and no one else's. Mm-hmm. Mary had a little lamb. She doesn't have it anymore, right? Just what ch- word you choose to emphasize in the sentence can dramatically take away the list or shift the listener's takeaways that they have. Yeah, it can. That's so neat. And what, for me, it was for me it was really fun to also rediscover what I actually meant. Mm-hmm. What was it like when you had? Because I know you had to go back and listen to stuff. What was it like to hear your own voice reading your own words back to you? I long ago got over my dislike of hearing my voice. I think most people have that dislike. I'm as podcaster hate listening to episodes I've done drives me crazy. Yeah. And I've done so much public speaking that's been recorded now that I just sort of don't, don't get hung up in how my voice sounds anymore. So as I was listening to it, (laughs) because I am in the process right now of listening to the, um, each audio file as it comes back from the sound engineer and two things, number one, um, there's still a lot of mouth sounds like clicks and Mm. breaths and stuff like that, that were so distracting. And so I marked all of those and now all of those are out, which is great. And now she's learned how picky I am about all of that. Um, when I was trying so hard not to have those sounds even come through, cause I didn't want the sound engineer to have to do that much editing. So that was the first thing is like, that is so distracting. But now that I've listened to some of the later ones where she takes that out to begin with, I just hear it like music. Mm. I mean, sometimes I don't even, as I'm listening to the audio um, coming back from the sound engineer, sometimes I just close my eyes and listen to it. I'm not necessarily listening for content anymore because I know what the content is and I've been through that and I still believe it's useful and relevant and valid and so I'm 100% behind it. What I'm listening for is, is this enjoyable to listen to? And, and the to energetic your, arc, I imagine, yeah, is and part you, of it. And to your point, does it take the listener um, some interesting place? Because where I put the emphasis totally matters. Yeah. Where I pause totally matters. Yeah. We're being super picky in the editing of this book. And the audio. How, yeah. how how do you reconcile that with this? It doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be useful. Well, what I find anti-useful is getting distracted. Mm-hmm. So if the listener is going to get distracted, out it goes. It's worth it. It's worth the extra time to take those things out. That makes sense. Yeah. Before we wrap up today, I want to make sure. We, I'm just going to be like, let's peel back five layers of the onion. Okay. Because you've, you've shared with me through a series of our conversations getting ready for this, um, how important it was to really be good with you in your own self-awareness and the rewards you have been able to reap 
from all of your disciplined inner work and your partnership with coaches over the years to get ready for working on this audiobook and the saboteurs and the things that were your stumbling blocks to do it. What, what were some of those moments that you just found really challenging and that you were almost getting in your own way? Well, there's one that's really clear. And I, um, I did a behind the scenes share on this one. So I, someone could go back and look at my post and see what date it was. But there was a, mo- a morning, probably about 4.45 a.m., where the perfection monster showed up. Now, I say monster, but let me tell you, this is a very pretty protection monster. Nope. Protect- oh, that's an interesting Freudian slip. Protection monster. And mm. I meant perfection monster. So there, there's, okay, there's something going on with that. Yeah. So anyway, she showed up. She had her heels on. She had her nails done. She had her hair done. And all of a sudden, I was doing three and four retakes. And I just was getting tongue-tied, and it was feeling um, kind of dull and lifeless. And I realized that what was go- that's what was going on. I was trying to make this thing perfect. Mm. And so because of my work with coaches in the past and because of my familiarity with the perfection monster, even though she looks so good, she actually is a monster, um, I was able to sort of very quickly tell her to go, you know, wander off into her perfectly manicured English garden and have some tea. And that's where I came up with the phrase, it doesn't have to be perfect, it just has to be useful. And so I sort of got over myself pretty quickly. It was even in the span of maybe 10 minutes in that one recording session. Um, and then I scrapped the first 10 or 15 minutes of it or whatever. But that was the only time I ever started over in a recording session. Were you ever close to that feeling again? No, no. What, what do you, I really, I want to slow this down in a way. The amount, I have an appreciation as I'm developing this own skill within myself for how much you have to short circuit your kind of fast thinking versus slow thinking brain to be aware of your own inner dialogue, somatically what is happening to you and all of that. And so where, when you slow that down and break it down for us, what do you first notice that is the indication of the monster showing up? The first thing I notice is that the results are not what I'm intending. Mm. But that's not the first indicator. That's just the first thing I notice. When I'm really, really in tune with this, because that's what happened in that particular instance, but when I'm really in tune with it, the first thing I can notice is a constriction in my upper chest and around my heart and this feeling like this energy wants to jet out of me, like force itself out of me. That is the feeling of, um, of like my, my own ego is in the way in some way. Sometimes it's the perfection monster. Sometimes it's something else, but that's the, that, that's how I know that I'm in the way of what wants to happen here. And I need to look at what's going on. I feel like the word forced in there is especially important 
because there is such an effortlessness to you in the way you're experienced that forced would feel so almost inauthentic. It's really authentic. It just gets short-circuited pretty quickly most of the time. Okay. You can ask my husband. He's, he, mm. you know, in our, in our <laughs> intimate relationships, it's not as easy. And so I'm not as good there. So, you know, we can have a podcast with him and he can tell you all about the times <laughs> when, I'm, when I'm not easeful, when I'm not open, when I'm not receptive, when I'm not in tune with other people. Yeah. Interesting. I feel like there's a, you know, behind the scenes with Lisa, you know, and we have both of you on and get other versions of the story. And John, <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, the, what else, like, about slowing that down? So you notice that constriction in your heart, and, like, it's like this energy is forced, and it's coming out of your chest. But it sounds to me like you're noticing how your outcome isn't what you want, but that this somatic sensation was there earlier. So then... How else can you describe for us like that inner game you're playing? So the same coach you're working with right now, Leslie, mm -hmm. is the coach that got me so in touch with the wisdom of my own body and being able to use it as an early signaling system. And um, so what happens very often now, let me just give you a real life example. Maybe I'm listening to a group of people talking and I'm a conversation partner in that, in that thing that's going on, whatever we're talking about. I can feel that, that tension rise. I can feel that motion of energy outward, like it wants, to, it wants to make itself come out. And what I do instead is breathe deeply all the way down to the bottom of my lungs, which activates the parasympathetic nervous system. And then I put my hands on my thighs. And I remind myself that I am here in this moment in a human body and this body has a lot of wisdom. And just doing that relaxes this constriction in the chest and it opens it out. It's interesting that you have an image of a meadow because so do I. It opens, it opens this up to where it feels like a meadow on a spring day. And when that happens, I'm now no longer so trapped in my own thing of like, what I want to have happen so badly. And, and the question I ask myself is, what's already flowing in this group? Mm. And what, if anything, do I have to add to that flow? And so that's the whole process of something that happens probably in the matter of five seconds. I love that. Even just listening to you, I, I kind of sat back in my chair. I took a deeper breath. I put my hands on my, like the tops of my thighs. And it, there is a grounding sensation in this. Mm -hmm. And what it does for me is it puts me in the come from place I want to come from, mm -hmm. which is a belief that there's a lot going right here. At any moment, there's a lot going right. What is going right? What is flowing? And do I have anything to add to it? And so often, I don't. Did 
there is power in that silence. Mm-hmm. And such a level of discernment. That feels like a whole nother conversation we could have is developing that um, ability to decide. Yeah. And how to operate from that place. Yeah, because I realize that there's like, um, there is a vision and a belief system I'm working from that completely informs that decision. It's not like I'm out. The center point of the the merry-go-round. Oh, I love it. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Even with all this stuff swirling around, there is a place to come home to, to get aligned within myself. And, you know, as I say in the Coaching Agile Team's book, to make a decision to serve their best interest. Yeah. What, what do you, what shifted about your center point in doing this work? Like going through and recording the audiobook, listening back to those recordings, hearing that energetic arc and that journey that the listener's going on for the audiobook. What new did you uncover about maybe yourself or just this body of knowledge in and of itself? The thing I uncovered is that I am still learning these same lessons. I wrote about 10 years ago, just at a different octave. And I've added a paragraph to the introduction to the audiobook that talks about that. Because in the original introduction 10 years ago, I talked about how the introduction text was really hard to write. Like I didn't know what was supposed to be in it. I didn't know exactly what to say. And I was sitting down with Chris Blake, who was an Agile Coach Apprentice of mine at the time. And she laughed and she said, you know, maybe you should take it to the team. Which was (laughs) one of those things I said a lot in the Coaching Agile Teams book. And that I said a lot to her as we were working together. And I did. I took her advice, I took it to the team, and that's what informed what goes in that introduction 10 years ago. And I realized now in hindsight that I did that naturally this time, 10 years later. Only this time, the team is the worldwide community of Agilists Mm -hmm. that I am now in contact with. And so when I had a question or I didn't know which way to go, and I wanted to get other perspectives, I would put something out on LinkedIn and in Twitter and say, give me your opinion. You know, I wanted to create, for example, um, a new piece of content, which is a book club guide to the Coaching Agile Team's book. So I put out on LinkedIn, hey, I know a lot of you have done book clubs. Please tell me what worked and what didn't work. You know, so it's nice to see like two snapshots in time and just really perfect that they're exactly 10 years apart and 2010, 2020, like how mm-hmm. perfect are those numbers? And and to see that I have grown to the point where that's actually part of me to the point that I don't even think about it anymore. Yeah. And there is still that next edge for me, which is the, the next level of leadership I'm growing into in myself, that so many of these things I said in the Coaching Agile Teams book are still things I'm learning that inform and enrich in that new level I'm working on. Yeah, which is going to be a whole separate episode we're going to record. Okay. For this series. 
because I could get so curious about that right now, but we're not going to. Um, on this theme of discovering new stuff, though, as we actually wrap up, like, what's new for you just in this discussion today? Well, I think the thing that is coming to my mind that so enlivens me right now are our metaphors from the beginning of this conversation and how skillfully you have woven those through the conversation, how I've been able to see uh, the usefulness of that, of that still center point and, and also that it's not solid or it's not in a stasis it's fun and it's and it's still has aliveness in it and it's also chaotic yeah so you yeah. know i love all that so that that's new for me and and so here's the thing is that i'll have to just let that background process in my mind mm -hmm. for several days maybe even weeks or months who knows yeah. but but it's been a really beautiful gift in this conversation excellent i i um thank you so much lisa for being in this any final thoughts well, for today's episode? Well, just because I want this to be really good for you, is there something that you've learned or something you are learning in this conversation that you want to take hold of right now? Oh. Um, I, I felt a little early on like I ran into a brick wall. Um, around what is it that I'm, what needs to be spoken through me and my own edge around leaning into that work. And um, I'm selfishly going to say, I'm really, really thrilled with my privilege <laughs> about being in this and having the opportunity where I can immediately go back and listen to this conversation and not have to worry about holding this space and creating the container for it and actually just really digest it in a new way. Cause there is something for me in my own work right now that is really, really important. Um, yeah. And so I just, I'm feeling really just delighted for that gift. Cause it's like, sometimes you just hear the things you need to hear. That's awesome. And it's also like, it's like there's popcorn popping in my belly when I say all of that out loud. Um, I think back to the conversation we had around the mission for this whole podcast series and responsibility to do things and create things and not be perfect, but just be useful. Like so much of this um, is useful. So thank you. You're welcome. Glad that yeah. worked out. Yeah, and this feels your the final lovely segue because our ritual of ending with gratitude and appreciation. So I am so thankful and appreciative of getting my own development out of this conversation with you today. So thank you, Lisa. Yeah. And as you've had me reflect on who my mentors were, I'm thinking now of all of my teachers. I have had the good fortune to have so many teachers and I'm so appreciative and grateful for all the things they've given me that I can turn around and give to others. That's beautiful. And how you are that for so many. Mm. So thank you. Mm, you're welcome. 
That feels really good. Yeah. All right. Well, we will see you next time when we are doing another episode in this series. Thank you listeners for being here. Thank you, Lisa, for everything. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of the Coaching Agile Team's mini-series. The Women in Agile podcast team is honored to be the home for this special content. If you enjoyed the show, we ask you to please rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your other preferred podcast platform. That will help us achieve our mission of amplifying the voices of women in our Agile community. As always, a huge thank you to the Women in Agile podcast sponsor, Accenture Solutions IQ. And if you're interested in finding out more about the initiatives from the Women in Agile nonprofit organization, we invite you to visit womeninagile.org. Thanks again for tuning in.